Welcome everybody to Beat the Shift Baseball. This is episode 31 for Monday, May 21st. I'm Alex Uwe here today with Ray Estrada. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm a little tired right now. It's been a long day for both of us. Well, perk up. We gotta we gotta talk baseball. We haven't we haven't done this in a little while. A lot has happened, and you know it. I, I will say up front that this is a very pitching heavy podcast because there was some incredible pitching feats uh, over the last weekend. Or you know some of it, some of it's incredible and some of it's just you know bizarre. I'll say. Let's start with that. Let's start with a very bizarre storyline that I never thought I would be saying anytime in a major league season. So Sergio Romo over this weekend against the Angels started two consecutive games. I think that's the first time it's happened since Zach Greinke, and I do not remember the exact circumstances of the game, but I do think it's because he got ejected early in the game, if I'm not mistaken. Do you remember that? I, I, now that you mentioned why he started the next game, I remember what you're talking about. I don't remember the exact situation, like you said, but I remember he got ejected. So then they said, okay, we'll pitch, we'll pitch him tomorrow. Yeah, and that seems reasonable. But this was different. This was, it seemed like it was planned because Romo was slated to start Saturday, which is weird enough as it is. Sergio Romo has never started a major league game. And that, you know, that was. A cool thing as it was and he pitched a one two three first inning and struck out the side and he then handed the ball off in the next inning to i think ryan yarbrough who just mowed down the angels the rest of the game and the Rays won the game sergio romo of course doesn't get the win because you have to go five innings as a starter to get a win because you know for some reason that's how the win rule is yeah and you also have to like i don't know if he was a pitcher record necessarily when the Rays got the lead. Yeah. And to follow up on the Zach Greinke thing, by the way, I believe he started three consecutive games. He really? was tossed I from a Saturday that. start after four pitches, came back Sunday, and started poorly, gave up three runs in three innings. And it was because the all-star break occurred in between then. So it wasn't three straight days, three consecutive games that he started. Oh, Okay. And he started after the All-Star break. So, I don't... I, I kind of hope Sergio Romo starts on Tuesday now. Just to see... just to, The Rays <laughs> can have some fun with this. You know, their, their record is 500 in the Sergio Romo starting every game period of their franchise. So, uh, it seemed to work so far. And then again on Sunday, struck out three batters. This time, got five outs through an inning and two-thirds before turning it over for the rest of the bullpen game so and who knows maybe the bullpen game will work out it did the the Rays did win um on Saturday and lost on Sunday but you know it it wasn't awful you know you you, by the by the third inning you hardly remember that Sergio Romo started the game and uh you know your life is more or less the same but that's something that I was not expecting to see at any point you know he's this is a guy that throws almost exclusively sliders too. This is a very specialized type of relief pitcher. So, you know, it's not even a guy who is like a converted starter reliever type of role. This is peculiar. It's cutting the game off from the front end. Maybe that's going to be the new thing. Teams just start bringing their closers in in the first inning 
and you and then you still have to to lock down eight innings of baseball just like uh just like any other game so who knows maybe that'll be trending going forward i sincerely doubt it what do you think about relievers starting games yeah i don't think it's a trend i think it's really interesting to see and i think the rays this is a very calculated decision because they played matchups on saturday and then hey worked on saturday struck out the side so we'll do it again on sunday i know zach cozart said it was bad for baseball i don't i mean unless it becomes a uh prevailing trend i don't see how this one little quirk even then how is that how would that become how would that be bad yeah i don't i i I mean it's struggling the status quo but i mean to me it's not upsetting and i'm i'm usually the guy who gets upset at things that buck the status quo Mm -hmm. it 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 doesn't really bother me that much um it was it was interesting i don't think it's a viable long-term option um for for any team but uh, certainly with the situation the rays are in uh, I'm not too sure. Do they, do they still have that bullpen day that they all, that they do oh, for their sure starting they, rotation? I think they have multiple. Their starting rotation is pretty much decimated. Yeah, so, I mean, the situation they're in, you can't say, like, they they did it just to just to do it. This is a very calculated decision that it, it certainly won them the game on Saturday, um, helped them out, and then uh, can't say that much for today, but... It didn't I, not help them win. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how it's necessarily bad for baseball to to try something new that isn't that it doesn't undermine the integrity of the game, in my opinion. No, yeah, maybe he's just worried about starting pitchers not getting their payday if every single team starts doing this, which again, not gonna happen. So, do you think Sergio Romo should start on Tuesday at home against the Red Sox? Who? I mean, I might believe. As well. Let's look at a, a Red Sox lineup. This is a Sunday lineup for I assume today, Mookie so Betts is up there. might be. Well, yeah, Mookie Betts today let off, and then Benintendi and Moreland, not exactly the matchup you want. But I don't know if that's the lineup they've been rolling with regularly. Um, but you know, it, it very well could be what kind of lineup Sergio Romo would have to face. Uh, I'm gonna follow this one. I'm gonna see how well the Rays do and Sergio Romo starts going forward. I I am willing to bet that they give him at least one more start considering how well he did in his first two. So, yeah, pro- I'm probably not going to see three consecutive games started by a pitcher again. But this was interesting, nonetheless. Um, and I think this was probably the pitching headline of the weekend, and it came at a very unexpected time. So St. Louis Cardinals reliever um, John Hicks, I believe is his name, Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks. Well, it shows the kind of research that I do. But he, John Hicks is a Detroit Tigers uh, player, by the way. Um, so Jordan Hicks of the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen today in the ninth inning threw five of the hardest pitches of this season. And I believe the second hardest pitch of all time, right? Probably up there with Chapman. He did hit 105. He hit 105, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's been multiple... 105s if it's like i don't well i don't know the decimal point of it but it's, I, it's certainly it's, it's certainly a top 10 i assume well it's certainly in the era of you know being able to track this data you know we can talk about the velocity debate throughout history if you want but it's chapman and then it's hicks now i think chapman still has the highest right so you know this is 
it has to be the next closest one, right? I'm going to look this up. Okay. Well, Jordan Hicks is not only throwing 105-mile-an-hour pitches, he's throwing 105-mile-an-hour sinkers up there, and that's just not fair. Odubel Herrera came up in the ninth inning against him with his hitting with his on-base streak on the line, and it was snapped because there's just nothing you can do against a 105-mile-an-hour sinker. I think he fouled one off, and that should be an accomplishment right there. You know, that you, you go back to the dugout and say, hey, I, I touched that ball. I'm pretty good at this game. So I, I'm expecting a lot of big things from Jordan Hicks now. Uh, we knew he was throwing hard coming into the season, but he was not touching 105. He's, his arm is clearly feeling better right now. So, I don't know. Is he going to be making more headlines like this in the future, you think? It, it can't be a blip. You can't only have one day in your career where you throw 105 miles per hour. He seems poised to take over as the hardest thrower in baseball. And, you know, Chapman's still in the league, but not throwing like he was in the Reds. So, I don't know. What do you think? Jordan Hicks, are you are you sold on the new... 105 guy um now i didn't see the whole inning but i saw the two 105 pitches that's all you needed to see there one was for a strike one was five feet outside (laughs) um another interesting here because he so chapman threw 105 this is i think officially tied with the record uh, for recorded in mlb history Mm. like you said there's a lot a lot of other debates about uh different throughout history with uh different technology and stuff like that but um, Hicks, he has a sinker ball of 60% ground ball percentage, only a nine and a half uh, strikeout percentage. With uh, our, I mean, I I know he's a sinker baller and he's designed to be pitch to contact, but you still think that sinker ball is going to get by guys at 100 plus? Yeah. So he's basically Marcus Stroman, except he throws the ball 10 miles an hour harder than Marcus Stroman. Yeah. I see. Well. I do expect him to get a lot more opportunities in high leverage situations now. He does have command issues or control issues, whatever the one that has to do with walks. I know one of those is the right term. Um, He did walk two in his outing today, but it didn't matter. It didn't even matter. So, yeah, basically we have a new 100 plus mile an hour sinker baller in the league. So that's terrifying, but also super entertaining for us. Um, and like I mentioned, Odubel Herrera struck out three times, went 0-4, and snapped his on-base streak at, what did he get, it's to 46 games, 45 games? That was, I thought it was 47. All right, well, it's, it is a number up in that range. I'm going to, to get that now, um, because it's better late than never. But, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what pitchers coming up soon that will be able to do anything close to that. I have not been paying attention to the fireballers of the minor leagues. Uh, Michael Kopech seems like a candidate, but I don't know if he's done that before, even in the minors. Uh, Isn't Kopech a starter, too? He is a starter, which is all the more impressive. He's a consistent... He could be a 100-mile-per-hour average fastball velocity guy, but I don't think he will be able to amp it up to that height as a starter, you know? No, yeah, I mean, maybe 
I think he's White Sox, correct? I don't want to get it wrong. Yep. Um, maybe they give him like a bullpen roll for like September call or something like that or really quickly in the middle of the season, and maybe he amps it up. But, yeah, there's nobody down there that I know of that is going to get close to these numbers. But like you said, Hicks has it's, it's con- maybe control issues if he's walking guys more. Command is still fine, but mm-hmm. and, that's what you look for. Yeah. And, by the way, Herrera's on-base streak snapped at 45 games. Oh. I, I won that stat game. Damn it. So uh, I'll tally that one for myself. Um, one other pitching note that we'll make really quick is that Kendrys Morales took the mound this weekend in a blowout, and he pitched a scoreless inning. So how about that? Kendrys Morales, probably the the last person you'd expect on the Blue Jays to take the mound. Do, do the Blue Jays still have uh, Cliff Pennington, who is famed Blue Jays reliever Cliff Pennington? I, I, I would, I seriously I would assume it. not, because yeah. he would have pitched. He's, when I think of relief pitchers, I just think of Cliff Pennington, because he... He, had, he was the best reliever in Blue Jays history, I believe. More unexpected scoreless inning. Kendris Morales or Pablo Sandoval? More unexpected? Yeah. Mm, probably Kendris Morales, just because he... I'm surprised he's rostered still. <laughs> because he's been really bad this year. Yeah, but they... Well, they signed him for three years, three, $33 million before last season, so, I mean... A little hard to just cut ties with that. Hey, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, it could be could be anything. Um, yeah, and by the, if you don't know what I'm talking about with the, the Cliff Pennington thing, uh, the 2015 ALCS, this is a playoff game with Toronto, uh, through a scoreless whole entire one-third of an inning. Gave up two hits, but escaped unscathed. So... You know what? We'll take that. That's that's good enough to get him into the record books. So, you know, let's let's move on from from pitching. Pitching is fun and all, but it's more fun to watch than it is to to listen to. So let's talk about the Braves, who accomplished something not only that was incredibly improbable and you know an unbelievable feat as it is, but the timing and coincidence surrounding the entire thing just baffles me. This is one of those glitches in the matrix, if you ask me. So on Sunday, May 20th, the Braves scored six runs in the ninth inning to overtake the Marlins and beat them 10 to nine. Amazing comeback. They were down nine to five with two outs in the ninth inning. So it wasn't even, you know, just a complete, pile up inning you know there was there was two it was a two-out rally if i've ever seen one and dansby swanson was the one to walk it off in in the ninth inning he he struck out to lead off the inning and by the time his turn came up again in the lineup he was ready to embrace the moment hit a two-run bases loaded walk-off single and one of the greatest braves comebacks of all time but not the greatest Braves ninth inning comeback of all time. No, no. Um, let's take you back to 2010. That's exactly eight years ago in 2010, on May 20th, also. The Braves scored seven runs in the ninth inning to beat the Cincinnati Reds by a score of 10-9. to nine. Seven run ninth inning. So 
you know, this was not even their best comeback, ninth inning comeback of the decade, if you want to think of it that way. So that game was ended by a Brooks Conrad walk-off grand slam, and that entire rally occurred with no outs in the ninth inning. If you wanted to have your memory refreshed there, if you don't remember it, or if you weren't even following baseball at the time, uh, Brooks Conrad was a Major League Baseball player, and this is by far his most notable moment that I can think of, that anybody can think of. So, of course, that was insane when it happened back then. How about two six- and seven-run ninth-inning comebacks to win 10-9 on the same day, eight years apart? What what do you say about that? What What can you even say about that? That's just crazy. I mean... Just, I don't know. It's it. I, I don't know if you can say anything about that. It's six run, two out rally, crazy. Just a bunch of hits strung together. Oh, actually, no. One was an error, fielding error with two outs. They were down to the last strike at least twice, and then they beat the Marlins. And then eight years ago, no, no, the Reds didn't get an out and gave a walk off grand slam. Yeah, and that inning for the Reds was just an awful inning. I I did rewatch the highlights of that game. I do remember it happening. I remember it being one of the most insane comebacks I'd ever seen at the time. But rewatching it, you, you it was one of those times where you got that vibe that the Braves were going to win that game after just a few batters in that last inning. I think the Reds made two errors on the infield, just very easy plays. And you just kind of you got that vibe, but based on the momentum, how the Reds looked, uh, and I, I'll look this up now. But you know, obviously, the Marlins are an atrocious baseball team, who started off the inning with Brad Ziegler, their their quote unquote closer, and then they went to, I, I don't want to screw up his name, but it's. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm going to I'm going to Google it really quick because I don't okay. want but um the next relief pitcher that I'm Tay uh Tyrone Guerrero, I believe, or Tyrone Guerrero. T A Y R O N. They brought him in. Oh yeah. It's Tyrone. Thank you, MLB.com pronunciation. Um Tyrone Guerrero came into the game after that and then gave up i believe a hit a walk in a hit and that was that was all needed at that point so you know that's that's a bad team and you know i'm curious if the cincinnati reds in 2010 were nearly as bad of a team because i do recall them that was that was votto's mvp year that was the year yeah i mean you normally don't have your mvp coming from a, a poor team so let's see they finished yeah they finished 91 and 71 that season i guess that was just a weird blip in the radar you know they could have <laughs> been 92 and 70 even if they they had one somewhat reasonable reasonable ninth inning in the, on that day so that is just baseball at its finest so i guess mark your calendars for 2026 for a five-run ninth-inning 
Braves comeback against an unbeknownst National League team, I, I imagine. Um, that I'm no expert in probability, but that looks like a pattern to me, right? You only need two for a pattern? Yeah. Sure. We'll, we'll stick with that. So... I, I've also pulled up other things that happened on May 20th in history. Okay. Just to see Go what for it. else happened. Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis received the patent for blue jeans on May 20th, 1873. Oh, we're not even talking baseball. We're just no. going We're just going historical context I, for everybody. I, yeah. Okay. So patent for blue jeans was was acquired in 1873. Um, U.S. dropped the hydrogen bomb over the bikini atoll in 1956. That's the famous, like... Uh, well, that's the theory behind the SpongeBob. I think that's Bikini Bottom. It's all just uh, radioactive, sentient. Uh, that's sea really bizarre. I, I've never heard that. I'm a pretty big never SpongeBob fan, and I have not heard that theory before. It makes okay. complete sense, but I have not <laughs> heard that before. Well, that I, I'm happened. not doubting you in any way, <laughs> but I'm learning. That happened. Um, let's see. Christopher Columbus died in 1506. Good riddance. Yeah. And in 2007, The Simpsons aired their 400th episode on May 20th. So, from a historical perspective, a really boring day in history. Um, some mildly interesting things. Yeah. But you know how long history is? It's it's about as... it's it, History is about as long as forever. It's about as long as forever. Not quite forever, but pretty darn long. Um, so... May 20th, very boring day for most people, but for the Braves, it's probably the greatest day of, of their lives, except for maybe, I don't know, the day, maybe there's some day in October when they did something incredible. I'm I mean, sure they did, but May 20th should be, you know, National Braves Day, if you ask me. So let's move on from there. Let's talk about, we've already talked a little bit about prospects in this one. Let's talk about one who's coming up with perhaps the hottest bat in the whole baseball universe. And if it's not him, then it's another guy who should be called up, who you know, everybody's been talking about. But let's talk about Juan Soto, who the Nationals called up in a very unexpected way. He had not played above AA. I think he's only been with the AA affiliate for... Barely 10 games. It's probably 11 or 12 at this point. But called up from the minor leagues just because he's scorching hot. Partially because Howie Kendrick is going to be out for the season, I believe, with a ruptured Achilles. But let's let's go ahead and just marvel at this guy's slash line through, I believe, three different levels of minor league ball up to double A. So... Triple slash line, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage. 367, 467, 757. That's Barry Bonds-esque. And he has 14 homers and 52 RBI in just 39 games. I just want that to sink in a little bit. I know it's very hard to just digest how good that is by hearing it but that's really that's really really good so he's up with the club the nationals of course are expected to win their division but not looking like they're going to coast quite as easily as they thought going into the year so 
Soto's up now, and with Eaton on the mend, he'll probably miss it. I I imagine at least another month recovering from an ankle injury this time. I believe it was right. He's yeah. been dealing with all sorts of leg injuries the last year and a half or so. Um, so with Eaton on the mend, they're still playing Michael Taylor, who is not a major league hitter. I'm sorry, he's <laughs> he's just not getting it done. I think his on base percentage is somewhere around 280. Uh, so Soto should be stealing quite a bit of playing time from him anyway. And, of course, Bryce Harper's out in the outfield. So this guy's going to play. This is not a insurance call-up. This is we need one of the best hitters in our organization on our major league roster right now. And he did debut in a pinch-hit appearance on Sunday, struck out. Uh, do you remember who he was facing? They were playing the Dodgers. Uh, uh uh, Goodell, or Goodell. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Well, that could be an interesting trivia question for the future because this kid could be that good. Um, and I do believe the new youngest player in the league, the Braves no longer have the two youngest players anyway, <laughs> um, he is 19 years old. So, for Eric, sure the Eric Goodell, that's who struck him out. Yep, that's who it was. So... There's not a lot to say here other than we, we shall wait and see what this guy is able to do. Um, pro- dealing with projections from prospects who've never even played above double A is always a tricky thing to do. But, you know, it could be one of those one of those things, you know? I mean, it, we, we hate to think of a Jerkson Profar type of outcome, but just as easily he could, you know start off as well as any 19 year old ever has you know he's got that kind of momentum i don't know if major league pitching is even enough to to shut down that kind of confidence at the plate and there's it's it's a strange thing hitting in baseball and say what you will about the best hitters in the world they rely a ton on momentum i mean you can look at hitters like Mookie betts who just can't seem to miss a ball at the same time, guys like Paul Goldschmidt can't seem to get it going. It's it's a tough thing to do to just start with a fresh slate every single game that you're out there. Um, so I'm excited to see Juan Soto, and I'm very excited to at some point see Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's also just tearing up Double A. Hasn't he? He should at the very least be promoted to Triple A at this point. So, you know that's. It's got to happen at some point. He's become one of the most talked about players in baseball as a minor leaguer. He just turned 19 in March. So he, I believe, would be the youngest player when he does come up, even younger than Soto. And, you know, in this season is unbelievable. We talk about crazy triple slash lines. Soto's is better. But how about a 421 batting average, 472 on base? 697 slugging for Vlad Jr. I believe he just capped off his Sunday, a 4 for 4 Sunday, that is, with a walk off homer as well. So, any questions about the timing, his, his dramatic timing? It's certainly there after the Montreal exhibition game before the season as well. You know it's there. Uh, eight homers on the year, more walks than strikeouts. He's, he's just a complete beast. 
So whenever the Blue Jays decide that they can either afford to just not roster Kendrys Morales or move him full-time to the bullpen following up a scoreless inning today, then Vlad Jr.'s got to make it up to the big leagues. And it's going to have a lot to do with their record going forward because the Blue Jays are not expected to take over the Yankees or the Red Sox. Nobody in that division is. But for right now, they're 22 and 25. They were 500 before getting swept by the Oakland A's over the weekend. So if you want to ignore that, um, you know, they're about a 500 ball club. That's what they are. Uh, if they do think that it's worth it to try to make a wild card push at this point, then, you know, they, they would be wise to to bring up their best hitter sooner rather than later. But I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't see the big leagues at all this year. He's a 19-year-old. Team control matters. Can't wait till the new collective bargaining agreement comes up so we can finally resolve some of the controversy surrounding withholding your minor leaguers from the big leagues just to have more team control. Because uh, it seems to be the case for every single prospect. That's the first question always asked is, hey, how's well, how does this affect his service time? When's he most likely to be brought up by the team? You can project it so far in advance just based on whatever calendar that tells the team when they get an extra year of team control, basically. So, unfortunate that there's all that kind of, all those hurdles that are non-baseball related. But, you know, at, for, for the time being, the, the legend will continue the 421 batting average from double a for the time being we'll see if that goes up even from here that's gonna be a a task but wouldn't put it against him so i do believe that is about it for this podcast somewhere along the way we lost ray it's a tragic loss but he will be back at some point i presume so i would like to thank everybody for listening and i would love to hear what you have to say, what you want to hear us talk about. So get in touch with us on social media at BeatTheShiftBP, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those places are great. And also check out our website, BeatTheShiftBaseball.com. For all of our podcasts, any articles, fantasy baseball stuff, if you want to see that, fantasy rankings. So there's lots of good stuff there, BeatTheShiftBaseball.com. And yeah, that is all for today. So considering I'm by myself, this is a little bit strange. But as always, peace.